0: This is Mark Steiner. Welcome to our podcast. This is the first podcast we're doing since the end of our terrestrial radio world. Last weekend, I was in Memphis, a city much like Baltimore, with a high murder rate. A city like Baltimore that's struggling with violence, a violence born out of the history of racism that has led to neighborhoods aborted up homes, of isolation and dislocation and desperation. In Baltimore, we've had 213 murders in in the 220 days of 2017. Six months ago, a man named Ogun, who is known as one of the fathers of Baltimore hip-hop, talked with Erica Bridgeford about how you end murders of so many black folks in our city. So they dreamed up the idea of Ceasefire Baltimore, a weekend without killings. Erica Bridgeford, who has experienced this violence firsthand in her family with people she loves, and as a mediator, took the idea ran with it, made it real. It went viral across the city of Baltimore. And while two people were killed last weekend during ceasefire Baltimore over those 72 hours, she sees it as a beautiful success that something powerful has been born. So Erica Bridgeford joins us for our inaugural podcast, along with our weekly commentator and theater activist, Collie Tengella, who is out in those streets. Welcome, folks. This is Mark Steiner, and welcome to the inaugural podcast of the Mark Steiner Show here. Uh, and it's good to have you all with us, and we want you to enjoy this conversation today. And there's something else we really should be talking about, about except what happened last weekend here in Baltimore with Ceasefire Baltimore. The woman who created that, Erica Bridgeford, is with us here in studio uh, and uh, who's on our show just before it launched. Erica, great to see you.
1: Thank you. Exhausted, Good to be here. Strong and no, lovely, no. but exhausted
0: and here. <laughs> yes. And we asked our dear friend, Colin Tangella to join us as well because he was out there all weekend in the streets during, uh, during, uh, doing... Uh, doing bon less, small the small first, let's
2: give uh, Erica a round of yeah, applause. Yes, so let's do that. Cue up the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. 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 And the so, crowd goes uh, crazy. That is so funny. <laughs> so let, let's... G- <laughs>
0: let's get down to it. I mean, I think... Take us back for just one minute. How many mm-hmm. months ago was this when you began this idea? Was it six so months ago?
1: It was It was. actually two years ago when Ogun years came ago. to me with the idea, not the God. And explain to hip-hop. our people who are listening who Ogun so is, Ogun other is, than being a Yoruba God. Other than being a Yoruba <laughs> God, Ogun is a person in Baltimore City who is like the godfather of hip-hop. Um, and so he approached me at a 300 Men march meeting to say, hey, I want to do a ceasefire. And... We hit and missed each other for a while. I would check in and go, oh, we got to do that thing you wanted to do. We got to talk about it. But in May is when my son told me that the murder rate was higher than it's ever been in Baltimore. And I got angry and I said, somebody should do something. And then I called Ogone and was like, what did you say you wanted to do? And we had like an hour and a half conversation about what we wanted it to be and not be. And then, you know, I called a lot of other people to go, would you be on, so Brandon Scott and PFK Boom and um, my friends and my children, I had to get permission from them to put one more thing on my plate. And then we scheduled that first meeting in May, I think it was like May 9th or 10th at that first public meeting, and there were only like maybe 12 to 15 people at that first meeting
0: and it just exploded from there. It exploded
1: it somewhere around July, It became viral in July. Viral yeah, in July. so what happened was Fox 45, well, the Afro wrote a story about it first, early on, and then the Baltimore Sun did an opt-ed, and then that was kind of it, and then most media was saying, oh, we'll call you on August 7th to see how it goes, because then I guess it'll be a story to them. Um, But somewhere around July, Fox 45 called us and said it was in all that same day. It was like 45 and Channel 2 and somebody else all on the same day wanted an interview. So they had seen these Baltimore ceasefire things popping up, not just outside, but in communities and restaurants and all online. And they were like, okay, this is a thing. And then suddenly everybody wanted an interview. And so I think it was the Baltimore Sun article because it was the front cover. And then that went on Reddit. And that day we broke the internet.
0: So coming back to what happened this last weekend, first of all, for our listeners, uh, the people listening to this podcast, some people you mentioned, Brandon Scott is a City councilman, yes. uh, who is on the west side of town, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who grew up in the hood himself and is very passionate about this issue. Mm-hmm. PFK Boone, that you mentioned, is a man who's done time inside yeah. uh, and is a community figure and organizer yeah. uh, and is always a presence in all these things that are happening in our yes. community. It was on our program with you, and yeah. we talked about this a couple yeah. of weeks back. Yeah. So, um, and Cole, you were out there this weekend, right? And yes. You, I, I mean, was. you were not part of the organizing of this, you were not part of the infrastructure, the inner circle. But you were part of the community with your theater work um, and uh, with the kind of community stuff that you do with young people uh, and theater. So you, you felt you had to be out there.
2: It's been a long time for me feeling a visceral um, connection by the time this inaugural podcast of yours, and kudos to you. Yay. Gets out. Um, and who else
0: should we hear but on my initial podcast? But you and of course Erica. Uh, we oh, are, yeah, we are so flattered honored. and honored. <laughs> you
2: to, hear to that, be squad? <laughs> the
1: squad? The organizing uh, squad. So we I are his inaugural show, y'all. We are everything right now.
2: Hey, we are. By the time this airs, um, Baltimore ceasefire would have had its follow up meeting after its tremendous success. Of, of the initial ceasefire, and I was an, had the honor of being in attendance at that meeting, was almost like a mixture of every beautiful African black spiritual thing you can think of with, sprinkled in with some beautiful white folks uh, who can respect the dignity of black African lives. It was wonderful, and what came out of it was that, Baltimore Ceasefire will continue as Baltimore Ceasefire 365.
1: That's
2: right. And one thing I want to share, the reason I got involved in it, because I met the wonderful, your, your partner in bringing us about. Um, LNG. LNG. Right. Mm-hmm. At an event coordinated by the Nation of Islam. Oh, yeah. Over on the west side of Baltimore. Yeah, Moss number 6 um, was right. At an elementary yeah. um, middle school.
1: Connections.
2: Connections. Mm-hmm. Um. O- on the west side, just behind Mondawmin. The old Lamel. Yep, Old Amel for those who are That's who the listen.
0: school that Eddie Conway, former political prisoner Eddie Conway, is works in and is a part of and does a lot of work in that school as well. Oh, does? Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. With okay. the farm and the other stuff they're doing. Okay. right? Yeah. yeah.
2: And because of that, I began, I put the post in my hand, I took a photograph with her, um, posted it on my Facebook, mistakenly referred to her as the creator of it. She hit me back and said that she's a big follower, did the correction, posted (laughs) again the correction and put your name up, Queen. And because of that, there was so many likes, but it was not not about likes. People began posting their pictures of themselves with ceasefire in their windows. And the one beautiful thing, I don't know if it was intentional on your part, please explain. That it wasn't about one individual. Oh, that it was, was so very intentional. Organic. That was very that intentional. That anybody who wanted to bring love, who wanted to promote peace, who wanted to bridge the gap in the African Black community, because we have a class issue. Yes. That there are good Black African Americans, aka <laughs> Negroes, and then there's a savage beef, savage beef, ghetto hood, hood nights, ratchet that, ones. That The ratchet Black people <laughs> that do all this evil. Oh but goodness. but if you look at anybody's family of African you black old family, you got the mix. And the major thing is for us to bridge that gap. And I felt honored. So I began to just go around on corners that people would normally do and take in photographs. I took a photograph of me laying on the bus stop bench at Green Mountain North Avenue. And my tag was, just chilling because my people ain't killing.
1: Yes. And with
2: holding a sign. And then people wow. started um Sharon. i never got so many shares in my life uh, people wow. started sharing that and i want to thank you and also could you explain you said it was intentional it was. not having a specific yes. head or leader yeah but you know that you are now and yeah. you are most deserving thank you but the fact that you said as long as you want to do good do your do what you want to
1: do yeah so um ogun and i in our first conversation talked about how in order for everyone to commit to it, it had to belong to everyone. And so in my doing community mediation work for almost 17 years now, our model is about community and inclusiveness. And so I knew how to do that. I knew how to say, This is not about one organization. As a team, we said nobody's logo could be on the flyer, nobody's name could be on any information. It had to say Baltimore residents are doing this. And that when we said celebrate life that weekend and do outreach leading up to it, whatever celebrate life means to you is what people we're doing and whatever outreach looks like to you who do you think needs to hear the message how do you give that message to them and that was it was a hard concept for people to grasp we kept feeling like because people would still come to us and come to the meetings and go well is it okay if I do da, 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 and I go to this meeting is it okay if I and we were like is that what you want to do because if so then it's okay right or have you all connected? So they were either doing trying to get permission or they were trying to make us do everything. So have y'all reached out to this place? Oh, y'all need to call. And so we were like, there's only six of us. If you know some places we should call, if you have a phone and the phone number and you can Google, you should call that place. Cause it's on your heart to think that's a place that needs to be contacted. So you probably have the language in your spirit to say it to the people when you call them. And that's how it became so organic is it was very purposeful what letting what self-determination looks like because that's what the ceasefire had to be about people had to take responsibility for themselves yes I will keep this six block radius safe even if I think it's not going to work and somebody's going to get killed over west I promise nobody will get killed over here so everything had to move that way that it was about self-determination
0: so come on things here this, this very quickly the weekend itself Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. For, it's a beautiful for, thing. And, and I want to talk about the beauty of that time, uh, of the three days, and get some of the hard questions people have. And,
1: about that five hours in between. And, and, and also yeah.
0: about what I've been reading on Facebook about the attack, kind of the pushback against ceasefire. I want to ask yeah. you all about that as well. but <laughs> That's so, fun. So, so talk about, though, the, the three days. I mean, what occurred? What, what was the tenor of the city? What exactly did you all do during those days? for the ceasefire to stop the killings in Baltimore. So
1: evidently there were like over 50 events that happened throughout the weekend. Uh, many of which you had nothing at all to do with. I, this just I bubbled did, up, right? The, the, the ceasefire squad only planned one event that we were hosting, mm-hmm. and that was the Peace Walk on Sunday that ended at Real News Network. Where you had a town the names. meeting. Right. We call- it wasn't even a town meeting. We were just calling the names of everybody who lost their lives to violence oh, okay. from January 1st through August 6th. Got you. That's the only thing we planned as a team. And then we said, everybody else, do what you want. I thought originally there were going to be cookouts and black parties all over the city, like in my mind originally. And people said, oh, wait, we can do whatever we want. Well, we're going to stay out all night and provide people with legal advice and and how to get their records expunged and mental health services. And, like, it was amazing. We're going to walk around the, a two-mile radius and stop at every place somebody got killed and call their name. We're going to give hugs out all over the city randomly. We're going to, like, people just got so creative. And what we found out was there were a lot of events already happening that weekend. I don't know if there were a lot, but there were events happening that were just planned that weekend, and people said, can you please put my event on the ceasefire post-calendar? Like, we want people to know we support what's going to be happening that weekend. So although we already had this plan for that weekend, it's divine that the ceasefire is that weekend, and we want to be connected to that energy. And so what it meant was... On Friday night there was a rally on Emerson and Wildwood Parkway. Across town, East Side and Patterson Park, there was a sunset meditation walk. And like it just was like and that's how well, the weekend this, started. This, so
0: these were all spontaneous events? That people that plan, People playing. just did down, because they believed what was to going on
1: between may and that weekend so they only had
0: i bet you some months. of them were just planned days oh, some ahead people just, just were like we should do we something
2: to, we, we to do i was driving down old frederick road is that near where the um the cemetery loudon Yep. yep. i was driving that and there was a small strip mall and it was lit. Yeah. Folk were out there barbecuing. Yeah. They had That legal was the Alpha for justice all night justice. long. Mm-hmm. And 300 and I felt so proud. Yeah. I had to pull over. Yeah. And thank They were thank not them. And it was at like one forty-five in the morning. Yeah. Because they were I out was from, coming from, from an 5
1: a.m. 5 p.m. to 6 a.m. On Friday night over east and on Saturday night over They west. had
2: floodlights. Music. Shout out barbecue. to Christopher
1: Burnett who made sure they got lights.
2: They, yeah, Councilman Chris Burnett. Yes.
0: Yeah. Right, from the and West Side. Were, another mm-hmm. West Side Councilman. Mm-hmm. one it of the, was, one was the new amazing. Councilman who was elected who comes out of the community as an yeah. organizer. Mm-hmm. Yes. And is one of the new shining lights at the City it. Council. He's right. So right. About right. It. And deserved there his full
2: praise because visually that was so impressive. It was. It was peaceful, organized, lot of love, but it made, if you. We're beginning to believe that you were the only one that were caring about the dignity of human beings and black African lives genuinely mattering. And, and you thought you were the only one. You felt affirmed over the last three days that you were yes. not alone. Yes. And I shared that at the follow-up meeting that thank you so much for letting me know that I'm not the only one that loved black folk and don't care what economic class you come from. I love you. You deserve to be protected and honored. And it, that's what you felt. And it was visceral. Um, I would Mm -hmm. pop up everywhere in front of Lexington Market with brothers and sisters dealing with the disease of addiction in their own way, putting their fists up and throwing up to you, saying, "We support ceasefire." Wow. Yeah, and some of them want to be in the picture. They felt bad because they weren't in. They didn't feel they were physically in a condition to present themselves, but they 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 totally supported it, and that was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And again. For you to come up with this, and I know you didn't expect it to blossom into this amazing thing. Yeah, and so that's the beauty of it. Now, you want to talk about the level of white supremacist hateration?
1: <laughs> well, no. <laughs> well, something had to be a big enough target, right? And that's the thing. When, it, when we were in May and June, nobody was making posts about the, hating the Baltimore ceasefire and making conspiracy theories about it, and right, that wasn't happening. But it became big enough, a big enough light unto the world that the darkness had to try to combat it because darkness has really low self-esteem. And so when light gets really big, dark, like, oh, no, I'm over here in the corner. I'm going to... But I'm looking at it like, okay, so you are using the Baltimore Ceasefire to try to get more hits to your YouTube page or to try to get more likes to whatever post you're making. Thanks for the marketing. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> nobody right. talks about something and promotes it more right, than right, it right, right, right,
0: right. Mm-hmm. So, so when... People raise the issue that two young men yes, indeed. were killed. Lamontre Tynes and um, Dante Johnson yep. were murdered on Saturday, mur- Saturday. Saturday, Saturday, yep. Saturday, right? In
1: a five-hour block of time.
0: And um, we've had, so far, 219 days in Baltimore and 212 murders. Mm-hmm. 219 days, 212 people killed in the streets of the city. hmm and two, two were killed, which is a... During the ceasefire. During the ceasefire. Mm-hmm. So talk about your reflections on that, on those two numbers and what they mean about what the spirit is behind this, what it meant for that weekend, what it means for the future.
1: So we immediately, like we said we were going to, we knew that murders might happen, and so we already knew. But you said on my we show that when you were on We wanted to show right. up at whatever, the neighborhood or the spot, and just give love. And the thing is, we didn't know specifically what that was gonna look like, but we knew we were gonna show up. So when when I got the news um, from T.J. Smith, actually. Um, Police department, spokesperson. Yes, yeah, I told Ogun and the squad, the rest of the squad, and we were all at different places all over the city, right, doing different events. And Ogoon and I just happened to be at the same one, and it was a beautiful cookout hosted by a band of brothers and one more, one less mentoring for the whole neighborhood. And
0: What neighborhood was that?
1: It was on um, uh, the 3100 block of, of Pressman Street, so it was Zone 16. It was like three blocks of the street from where I grew up. And so that's why that space is right. um, really sacred to my brother and I. West Side I. Neighborhood. Yes, and so, um, so that's where we were and we didn't want to change the energy of what was happening right there by telling everybody, we're gonna right, go over here to this murder scene, right? But we quietly told some people, you know, cause people were like, oh, how many hours are we at now? And I was like, we're at 41 and we're pausing the clock right here because we just lost somebody. And you know, and so those of us who can, and I made a post and we shared it to the ceasefire page, those of you who can, we're meeting over here at this location. And so when we got there, they were there with the hoses, right, cleaning off the the blood off of the sidewalk. Um, and I'm gonna skip over how some media person tried to walk right up to me with a camera and tried to mic me to talk to her at that moment about how I was feeling. That happened. That happened. So I was
0: in Memphis this weekend. I couldn't be here because I had to be aware. It happened. She
1: walked right up. She had been texting me the whole time, so she knew I was on the way. Mm. And I didn't think she was expecting me to, like, walk up and, like, get on camera and get a mic attached to me and start talking. Um, And this is, like, I'm a homicide survivor. Right, So it just dawned on me. My mom was with me. My mother could not walk up to the spot when she saw them hosing. I don't think it ever dawned on either of us that this is what happens because we know they did not wash my brother's blood off the sidewalk because neighbors complained for days that there was still blood in front of their homes. And so we knew this was something that was happening. You know, like it was so... We, I asked everybody, let's hold hands and make a circle and not break the circle. And it's my belief that when people die, they are fine once they transition, right? But I also wonder if when people are murdered and they're snatched like that, and then as they die in fear and confusion and anger and whatever all of that stuff is, like when they're first snatched out, is there like all of that confusion and stuff for their soul? And since it was so close to when he had been killed, I said, his energy is all of that is still right here. We need to bless it. We need to help this man transition in peace with compassion and love and understanding. So we just held hands. I said I don't know how many words about that and and, and then opened it up for people to say blessings and love to this space. Uh, me and a few other women sat down on the ground. In our minds, bloodstained streets of Baltimore need to be sacred spaces. And so we kneeled and we put our hands on the ground where the blood had just been washed. The puddle of water right there was still mixed with the blood. You could it was just, you know, and so we I realized later that night, and especially especially after Dante was murdered, how I was reacting to this, the way I reacted when I found out my stepson and my brother and my cousins and my friends, right, that it was personal. And a few weeks ago, I didn't respond that way. I thought I wasn't numb, but there must have been some numbness because now it was raw pain and everybody who knew around the city was feeling it. And so we used that to say, remember that five hours because we can celebrate there were 41 hours of no murder before then. And then after 10 o'clock, after the second murder, there were 26 more hours of nobody getting killed in Baltimore. So we got 67 of the 72 hours that we were hoping for. But that five hours matters, and we have to remember the, how we felt in that and five th- hours. And I think it's
0: important to point out when I'm asking that question because some people look at this and say that shows it was a failure. No, no it doesn't. 67 you know what I'm saying? out
1: of 72 hours. When people get killed every 19 hours— Going 41 was a miracle. That's A. And then after having murder, generally what you notice happening in Baltimore is once there's a murder, there's like a trickle effect. Like, okay, we're back right. to every 19, and that's not what happened here. There was another 26 hours... And the next murder didn't happen until one something in the morning after the ceasefire was over. And so we know about the magic that it created in the air around the city. We know about the the people who made promises that they were going to keep their neighborhood safe when they are people who normally participate in violence, right? So we know that lives got saved, but we can't celebrate the 67 hours without remembering the five hours that shook us to our roots.
0: So talk both of you and how many we have left together. I mean, because, you know, I can, we could talk about the kind of responses I've seen from around the surrounding counties and around the country. <laughs> People writing things like ceasefire weekend in Baltimore, um, exclamation point. Is Baltimore a third world country or, or a war zone? Ban guns and all the problems will end. The guns were not legally sold to the criminals refus- refus- refusing to abide by your ceasefire. So how could anyone logically think or believe that a gun ban could work? Don't believe me, then explain why it's not working now. Or people writing things yeah. like, um, uh, that this, why can't we just say what this is, which is a black problem? It's a co- problem That's in, the, in it's,
1: America, it's, the in a, most violent place. A, on it's a Earth. cultural problem
0: in the black community, people oh, write yeah. on Facebook. Okay. All these things are coming out on Facebook now yeah. uh, about all of this. People so, so,
1: gangsters are my favorite people in the world. Because these are things that nobody will ever say to my face. Of course not. Right. But behind the safety of your keyboard, you can say all of that. And I'm going to say to you, is America not a violent place? Does America not use violence to keep black people oppressed? And if that is true, which it is, then you can't be surprised that you teach violence is power. And then people who are disempowered, use violence to try to find their power. And so we're not going to pretend that Baltimore or black people are some isolated thing unto themselves that they're just some monster that created darkness in a cave by themselves. <laughs> like America is a violent culture and we love it. We 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 elected the king of petty just to confirm how violent we are. We Um, use all kinds of tactics when some other country is not doing we think they should do while we can just die and not have healthy food and be raped and have domestic violence and oh we can have all the problems in the world but we got to fix everybody else by dropping some bombs so I'm not trying I mean people can say what they want to say but those are people who don't believe in humanity I believe in humanity and I've been impacted by violence and rape and and I was born with one hand, and I'm black, and I'm from West Baltimore. So everything that you can say negatively about someone, I experience as a part of my journey. And I still believe in humanity, because I believe in love.
0: So let's talk about what, where we go. Well, you, you talked about the incredible energy that you both felt in the streets at night, yeah. these people spontaneously coming up, creating this, this this atmosphere of love and passion throughout the city and really having an effect on people's lives, whether it's the yeah. young men in the streets with, who are armed, or whether it's just people living in communities and the entire community was just kind of felt yeah. something different. Where does it go from here? I mean, you know, we've had a few murders, much of shooting since that day, uh, and there's a lot of pain in this city. Yeah. So where does it go from here, do you think? I think one thing Probably that needs thing to be ever.
2: addressed, thank you. One thing that needs to be addressed is why do people, regardless of hue of skin, yeah. feel like, do violence to one another yes. and do violence. Why? Why, why do yeah. people value their lives so much less than other life? Yeah. Why do people feel as though the only way I will be affirmed or make money or yes. feel respected is through force and the exercise of intimidation? That's right. Those are the, the things that the um, social media gangsters um, need to be asking is why do people do this? Is it um, housing instability, economic instability, constantly receiving messages that your life, regardless of what you do, we saw this with President Obama being disrespected, right. and you are the leader of the free world, and you can go into your office and press a button that will release a <laughs> thermonuclear weapon, and you're straight and I getting still dis. Still can't get respect. Get, can't get respect with that. So, but, wow. but okay, but yeah.
0: let me come back to our streets.
2: Yeah, you know, even even at, even with our streets, is that. Every day, and with the students that I work with and their families, constant messages of disrespect. Like today, I had a situation I witnessed a crime. A gay black man was assaulted by a city worker. I won't say where this took place. I reported it to the police, and I was blown off. I'm going to take other courses with this, but even I saw right then and there that they they did not value the life of a full-grown black man who happened to be gay. Right. And the life didn't mean anything. It's like, we'll get around to it when we get around to it. And there were other people there, children walking down the street, other people who witnessed this, and that's the message that is being sent. So until we let people know that their lives matter in an authentic, genuine way, because the ceasefire would lead to um, black folk talking about intergenerational trauma and pain that... Um, scars are even DNA. Yeah. It will go from there to talking about misogyny and sexism in the black Come community. On, It'll go from there. It'll be a catalyst. But this, uh, there's a long journey we have to there take for to people people healing. White to heal
1: too. Yeah. in real life, right? It's not only black people getting killed in our cities. It's a lot of healing for white people all up and through there, and domestic violence. And when you go into a community, people commit violence among where they are right right so black on black crime is a myth because and you if you go into other communities that are disempowered they got white on white crime and you know and so there's enough healing for everybody in baltimore city if we all figure out what's my lane Right. What gifts do I have? What resources do I have? How can I address the root causes of violence, the present trauma of violence, the aftermath of violence? Where do I fit in? And if everybody is doing their talent and collaborating with others, we, we can't help but make the ass stay feeling like it's a miracle at work.
0: So let me ask this question. Maybe as we conclude, it might be a difficult question. <laughs> um, but I think it's a real question. Um, I, I saw the mayor there when she walked in to be part of this. Okay. When she walked through, and I heard what she had to say, at least from Mm -hmm. what I was watching on a video. And so, as you described, Erica, a little while ago, that you saw people out there spontaneously coming out for the whole weekend, setting up places to help people expunge their records, um, helping people with legal issues, mental health setups, people cooking and trying to heal people, help people. hold people close and all this incredible positive energy coming out of the community black and white in the city coming yeah. together to kind of say we need to end this violence and coming together in to some unity which is a very potent powerful social and spiritual force yes. right and the reason i mentioned the mayor though is that because there's also a political question and there's an economic question and there's a social question yeah. that that the only way you really end this is in some ways through some political, social unity that changes the way we operate in this city, right? You're trying to heal the city, Erica, and it's and it's a and it's a powerful bandage you're putting around to keep people whole while things are falling apart. <laughs> right. But the question is if we don't figure out a way to not let people f- let it fall apart politically and socially yeah. and economically, right, then we
1: will keep you you keep you'll keep, 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 keep holding keep that bandage it, up there, right. right? That's right. So well, how does that come, translate into that. So it has to come so we're doing ground up work, right? We're doing grassroots up. And absolutely politicians have to do the system down stuff. They have to. And I'm hoping that because the politicians and police officers and agencies really got behind this um, in a lot of different ways, I hope it inspires these same kinds of conversations behind closed doors when policies are being made. Right behind, and and, and that there's so we got to open those closed lists. doors. So they're not open. closed anymore. Right, that's the good point. Right, <laughs> but decision makers have their conversations over coffee and this and that. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we know the bill came and we know which way it's gonna go because of relationships that already got built around whose side is has the most power right now, and so because so many politicians saw this happening and knew. This is something that actually could work. What they're doing, this model, this is serious business. I, it's in my best interest that I am saying out loud, absolutely yes, that's what they're doing. But it has to be more than that, right? It has to be so when there are pilots, when there are councilmen and women bringing new bills and new plans and new policies that are not about just locking people up and throwing away the key and all of that, like really holistically. How have we created these people who are committing these kinds of crimes? And what can we do to undo that, A, but then keep it from happening with the next generation? Until those kinds of policies are made, you're right. We'll just be holding a banner together. But also what might happen is as those get moved out, some of others of us, I'm never running for office, but some other people <laughs> want to. <laughs> right, other right, right, next, The Christopher Burnett's and the Brandon Scott's, right? We got people that are there that's like, they are seriously about it and they speak for the people. And I believe more and more of that will happen even coming out of this movement, right? If, if there's stale wind in those offices that's not ready to move, this wind is blowing and it's blowing hard and they're either going to get on with the change that Baltimore needs or they are really going to get pushed out by the wind of change that's coming.
0: Very powerfully said. And this is, uh, you know, to me, I think the stuff that you— I just want to say it very quickly, Erica Bridgeford, that what you created here with Ogun and others for Ceasefire Baltimore was a very powerful Mm -hmm. spiritual, social, cultural, political movement that grabbed the city's heart. And it's just amazing. Because it, it is it, the city's heart. It is the city's heart. We just put
1: it. our hearts on the outside of our bodies for three days all together.
0: And you, Colleen and Gala, to me represent one of those hearts that was grabbed because your heart is already there. Yep. And the work you do with our children every yep. day to heal our children and keep this community whole.
2: And I just want to say, everyone is a leader. You yes. Are a leader of Baltimore mm. Cease, ce- uh, yes. Ceasefire 365. Yes. Go out there. Keep this energy alive. Love life. Love people. And don't be afraid of your neighbors. And let's not be afraid of our children. Mm. Go up and talk to them. Don't criticize them. Love them. Watch yes. our tongues and speak love mm. and embrace one another. Yes, indeed.
0: I want to thank you both. Colin thank you, brother, for coming in today and you know, for being out there this whole weekend. You. Yeah. And Erica Bridgeford, thank you for what you brought us all with Ceasefire Baltimore. It means a lot. We had to build on it. Uh, we love your sister. Now it's time for you to take thank a little rest so and much. some break. Yes. Right? Just for a, minute. Some for a minute. Give us right? some yes. love.
2: Give us some Just love. And I want oh. to thank, thank
0: you all for listening to the inaugural podcast of The Mark Steiner Show.
2: Yay. Subscribe and listen often yes. at
0: steinershow.org. Nice. <laughs> oh,
2: that's
1: so nice.
0: Thank you for listening to the Mark Steiner Show podcast, produced and edited by Calvin Perry. Join us next week for the second episode.